0: Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. So I know that Brent has been doing some teaching in Hebrews. So uh, you probably don't need a ton of introduction to Hebrews, but I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction to it as well. So uh, regardless, really. So the, the original readers of Hebrews were at a crossroads. They were like the people, like the Jews who left Egypt So God had done these mighty works and set them free from slavery in Egypt. But then they got to the middle of the desert and they're on their way to the land of Canaan. And as they experience difficulties, they start wondering, is this really worth it? Is the Canaan in front of us really worth all these challenges? Are we actually going to be able to inherit the land that God is promising us? And... The people in the desert, the actual Israelites then, they started to grow faint. Heart, they started to go faint, faint-hearted, and they they really questioned that. And and really, these guys are in a similar situation. They've left sin and Satan, and they're on the path to the heavenly Jerusalem that we're going to read about tonight. And I think that the writer of Hebrews has sensed that they're experiencing some difficulties. He talks about that in the book, and he compares their situation to the Israelites in the desert And now he's trying to encourage them. And the way he encourages them to keep on keeping on is by showing them the superior Jesus. How superior Jesus is to everything that they've ever known. He offers us a better covenant with God and a better relationship with God and more confidence than we've ever been able to have before. And here in chapter 12, really kind of an application section for the rest of the book. What what he's saying here is, is this. Uh, really that Jesus is encouraging us to not, uh, not ignore the fact that there is a coming judgment. Uh, Jesus is warning from heaven that, and they need not ignore that warning because there's only going to be safety in God's kingdom. And I want you to notice what he says in verses 28 and 29. Of this text, he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Think about that for a moment. Reverence. Reverence is a reverential respect mixed with uh, or really, really it's, it's a, sorry, a deep respect for someone. And awe is a reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. And I want you to ask yourself for a moment, is this how you worship God? Whether you're here or somewhere else, whether you're just praying, uh, is this the attitude that we have towards God? Is this the attitude that we live our lives with, with reverence and awe? I think even if you're focused on what's happening when you're worshiping here, for example, I I think it's hard to miss the people who are worshiping with reverence and awe. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, whether you're expressive or not, like it's so encouraging to me when I see people who are just intent and they're focused on what's happening. And that helps me worship with, I don't know about you guys, whenever you see that, but it just helps me focus even more and just get in tune with god and just be encouraged as i see yeah they think he is awesome too and i uh, i'm encouraged to that but have you ever found it difficult to offer god that kind of worship I, I, we all know what it feels like right and, and and looks like i think whenever we're giving god that reverence and that awe but you struggle with that i, I know i do Uh, Sometimes sometimes it's just because I'm just not in the zone. Maybe I didn't get enough sleep, or maybe I'm not feeling well. Sometimes it's because someone else is distracting me. Like if people are messing around, then that can be kind of distracting. We have some difficulties with that at our church back home. But I, I tell you what, I think more often than not, Though sleep can be an issue, and make sure, here's another reminder, get good sleep on Saturday night uh, so that you're ready for worship here. But I think more often than not, it can be a spiritual problem. Not just a physical body problem, but a spiritual problem. Some For some reason, I'm reading these words, and I'm singing these words, or I'm praying these words that say, God is just the best, and the hope he gives us is just the best ever. But in my heart, I'm kind of like, "Mm." I don't really feel that right now. What causes that? What causes us to sometimes really believe that and sing those words and say amen to those words and just really believe it one day and then another day have a hard time connecting with that? Well, I think the paragraphs before this text really in in Hebrews, are all meant to motivate this kind of worship and awe. He basically says this as a therefore statement, right? Verse 28, therefore, let's be grateful and let's offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So everything that comes before it is meant to lead up to, it's meant to cause us to give God that kind of worship. So here's how I want us to read this text, uh, this whole text This evening is with this lens thinking, why is it? Why is it that we can struggle with giving God reverence and awe in our worship and really even just living our whole lives with reverence and awe towards God? And so I hope that makes sense. Let's think about this text from that perspective. Why can we struggle with reverence and awe? And that will be really the the reverence and awe is going to be the application uh, of all of this. So the first thing that we're going to see in the text is, is this, if we're struggling with reverence and awe, it's because we're not seeing the grandeur of the mountain we've come to. Notice verses 18 through 24. The Hebrew writer says this, for you have not So earlier on in the the letter of Hebrews, uh, in chapter 10, he encouraged them to boldly enter the throne room of God and speak to God, just boldly enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus. But now I can kind of see him making this a little bit of a other side of the coin. As you enter boldly into the most holy place of God, we need to recognize this. We have not come to like some physical tent and we especially, we have not come to, he says Mount Sinai, this mountain that can be touched. And that place was awesome and terrifying. He says, he says, it was so terrifying that Moses was scared to death to be there. If anyone touched that mountain, they were to be stoned on the spot. We're approaching a next level mountain. He says Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. And as he describes this heavenly mountain city that we've come to, he says that we have come to innumerable angels. (coughs) Picture that. Innumerable angels. To the assembly of everyone who's enrolled in heaven. We've come to God. We've come to Jesus. Think about that. Like This is what we've come before. We don't see this mountain right now, right? But we don't see this assembly now. But that's who we've come before for all the talk that I've done in my life about how these buildings that we worship in aren't sacred I think sometimes I forget to remember actually the the building the walls are not sacred anywhere we worship whether together or individually and anywhere we live, We are worshiping and living our entire lives before a sacred assembly and before our holy God. Do we think about that enough? I I know I, I forget to think about that. Everywhere we're standing, really, we are standing before an innumerable host. And here's the logic of his point here in the text. I hope you are catching it. If we were at anything lesser, we would be stoned just for being. There. And yet somehow we've been allowed access to this great mountain. And if access was not allowed to Mount Sinai, and we've actually been allowed access to a greater mountain, then how much reverence and fear and awe should we have as we worship God and as we live our lives? How much respect should we have for the grandeur of the mountain? We have come to. There are some sci-fi movies and shows that will do this really cool thing from time to time. They will explore the concept of another reality, another uh, realm within our own realm. Maybe you've seen these shows sometimes. Uh, it's kind of cool. Actually, as I was thinking about this again, it actually happens one time, maybe other times, but it happens one time in the Bible with Jacob. He's like leaving. His home for another to go see Laban. And as he's sleeping, like one night, he realizes that where he is, is the actual gateway of heaven into this world. And he said, I didn't realize this. I'm going to remember this place. That's kind of cool. But he's able to see something that nobody else was able to see, that this spot was actually a gateway into heaven. But anyway, these sci-fi movies, they'll do this. They'll let you, they'll kind of peel back the layer so that you see The unseen reality all around you. And we can't fully see this heavenly city, right? He says that that's the city we've approached. That's the mountain we've approached. And he says we we, we can't see it yet. John, the apostle John, tells us in Revelation 21 that one day this city is going to come down out of heaven. But the writer here tells us that we have access to it now. And I want us to think about that. This morning, or this evening, and even this morning, and all throughout our lives... We need to recognize this. There are innumerable creatures giving glory and honor to God. The Apostle John helps us see this picture by telling us what he saw in Revelation chapter 5. Notice what, and think about this picture. Picture this, what he sees here. He says this, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders The voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. See, all we see here tonight are a few other people giving glory and honor to God. But I think sometimes, and I don't just think, I know sometimes, I often forget that That's not the full scope of reality. Yeah, there's a few people here tonight giving glory and honor to God. And yeah, because of that, if anyone from the world were able to see what we're doing right now, they would think that we're probably just a bunch of backwater radicals giving glory to an unseen God. And so we look odd to the world. But the truth, the reality is this. That we can't see is this, everybody who's anybody is giving glory and honor and praise to God. And we have come before that very assembly. And so to worship with awe and reverence in our life and live our lives with awe and reverence, we need to learn to see and to remember the existence of the grandeur of the unseen assembly that we are gathered with tonight and before whom we live our lives every single day day. Second, this text talks about how we need to remember how everything is shaken. And if we're not worshiping with reverence and awe, then we're not really remembering that. Notice verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking for they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven at that time back at Sinai. So when Moses warned the people from earth, they were punished if they ignored him and they couldn't escape. And so the writer says, basically, since Jesus is warning us now from heaven, we really shouldn't ignore him because we're getting a next level warning from a next level place. Well, what's the warning well, that God's judgment is coming, that everything is going to be shaken. Now, this quotation here is taken from Haggai chapter two. And I imagine some of you are familiar with Haggai, but let me kind of set the scene for what's happening in Haggai. Uh, Basically, the exiles, uh, or rather the, the people of Judah were punished by God and they were taken into exile off of their land into Babylon. And they were being punished by God And Jerusalem and the temple were left in rubble. Right? So here it is, the temple is destroyed and they're living in foreign land But one day God uh, uses rulers to bring his people Back to the land and one of the things he wants them to do Is to rebuild the temple And then they start getting discouraged and they give up And so Haggai comes along, sent by God And he brings a message from God's spirit To encourage the people, rise up, keep rebuilding the temple And They start rebuilding, but then they start looking at this temple that they're building, and they're like, this is so lame. (laughs) People had seen the original temple, and they had heard of the original temple's glory, the, the temple that God built through Solomon. And it was just awesome and massive and full of gold and beauty, but this was not. And so God sends Haggai to say this, don't worry, guys. Really soon, I'm going to shake heaven and earth and the sea and the nations. And I'm going to bring treasure in here. And this temple is going to be so great that it's going to be better than Solomon's temple. Well, if you've read Ezra, then you know that God did kind of shake things up a little bit, right? But, and the temple was... Kind of more beautiful than it was before, but definitely not more beautiful than it was in Solomon's day. And this promise really still didn't come to full fruition. And then Herod came along one day, and he was going to bring God's new temple. Maybe he thought he was bringing the Ezekiel temple. Maybe he thought he was bringing the Haggai temple. And uh, the Sadducees, there's evidence that the Sadducees really did believe that, hey, we've brought God's temple. We've brought the real deal. But anyone who had real eyes to see it knew that this was not God's awesome temple that he promised to bring, like we see in Revelation 21 and 22. And now the Hebrew writer is saying, okay, let me remind you of that promise. One day, really, truly, everything is going to be shaken, not just everything on earth. As some things on earth were shaken back at Sinai, but everything even in heaven is going to be shaken so that God's temple will truly surpass the glory of the temple in Solomon's day. But in that day, as God shakes everything to beautify his final temple, whatever that ends up looking like, God will be the temple, it tells us. These are all pictures, of course, right? But in that day, he says, as he shakes everything to finish his temple, he says this, everything's going to be removed except God's kingdom, which is permanent. Do we think about that? Do we think about all these things that we so often love and distract us? Do we think about the fact that these things are all going to be removed one day? Are we living as if that's going to be a historical reality, just as real as the flood was for us in Houston last year or the year before, year and a half ago? just as real as that was and any catastrophes that have happened here in South Florida, that will be a literal historical reality one day. Everything in heaven and earth will be shaken. And all these things that we so often love and are distracted by, they're going to be destroyed. I think it's so easy to lose sight of that in our prosperity. Um, God has given us prosperity and I'm very, very thankful for it. And God uh, is okay with us enjoying it. But I think it's really easy to lose sight of that. Like, the lack of permanence of things I'm, I'm always thinking about, and I've got to get this out of my head. I'm always thinking about how to make my house more permanent, my car, more permanent, my body more permanent. And I tell you what, when I do that, and when I keep thinking that these things are going to be more permanent than they really are, I think that causes me to value these things sometimes a little bit too much. And then I'm not as thankful for God's kingdom, which can't be shaken at all. Let's remember that God is not leaving us now. He's with us and he's taking care of us. And let's try to remember this reality that like everything that we have, it might be like great, but it doesn't matter what happens to it. It's all going to be burned one day. It's all going to be shaken and it's all going to be destroyed. And that's okay because we have a far more lasting possession waiting for us. Like, I love my house. It's pretty cool. And I've got a cool car and a decent phone, you know. But, like, those things are so lame in comparison to what God is offering us. Like, okay, so if someone steals my stuff or if... Like the stock market plummets and I lose everything or my house burns down. And let's say because of a glitch in the insurance, they're not going to rebuild it. And I've got to live in a tent for a while. You know what? Who cares? Forever, I am going to live with God. And we are going to live in His kingdom in the best, most beautiful place that we could ever imagine. This is why just after this, the Hebrew writer says... In chapter 13, verses 5 through 6, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember to be content with what we have. Otherwise, we're going to forget how awesome we are going to have it one day. So let's take comfort. It doesn't matter what happens to our stuff now. To worship acceptably with awe and reverence, and you remember how much everything is really going to be burned up and shaken. And my dad has always said that, you know, it kind of helps if you mentally go around and think about how everything is to be burned, you know, and, you know, maybe just like if, if it helps you to visualize it and you really struggle with this, just get a label maker and just go like put that on things that you find really valuable to be burned, to be burned, to be burned. Just to remember that. Third and and finally, if we want to worship with reverence and awe, then we need to see God as a consuming fire. Notice verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Do we see God in this light as a consuming fire? I heard another preacher, a guy in Dallas, speak on this subject at one time. And I thought the way he talked about it was helpful. Um, has anyone here ever heard of a fainting goat? You guys ever heard of a fainting goat before? Yeah, some of you all have. These, these things are so cool. Like, so like if you startle this goat, it literally cannot control itself. It falls over. And sometimes it falls over in a really pitiful position like this, like legs and arms up. And if you're anything like me, then you think, I cannot wait to find one of those because I'm totally going to mess with it. <laughs> it's going to be great. And you can actually look up videos. I, When I was writing the sermon, I actually spent some time in heavy research looking up funny videos of fainting goats. And it really entertained me. But... Like, this is what happens when we see something as docile, right? Like, I do not respect fainting goats. Like, I have no respect for them. I just think they're funny and I want to mess with them. But, like, that's what happens when we see something as docile and we don't respect them. Do we ever see God in that light? I think it's really hard to not see Him in that light, the way people around us in the world treat God, right? Like here's how sometimes I feel like I think, maybe not actively consciously think this, but maybe just act and think and talk in this way. Yeah, if I do something that God doesn't like, then, I mean, he's just going to roll over and go, okay, okay, you got me. Not a big deal. But if that's the case, I'm treating him like a fainting goat, not a consuming fire and we can't worship God acceptably if this is our picture of him. I think the apostle John gives us a helpful picture in Revelation chapter 6 to remember this picture that we talked about of how everything will be shaken and of how God is a consuming fire. Notice Revelation chapter 6 verse 12 and picture this. I want you to imagine being on the earth as this is happening and being in the shoes of these people. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and the islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? Imagine what it would be like to experience this judgment. The ground underneath you is shaking. Rocks are splitting. The sky is being rolled up. It's black and dark. And you're scared to death as you look up. You're not scared because of everything you're losing and, oh, what's going to happen to all these people over here? You're not scared because of that. You're scared because when you look up, you see the face of the one on the throne. And all you can think is, I've got to hide. I think sometimes we can be so casual about even what we're doing here. Oh, there's a cute baby over there strolling. Hey, you. Hey, over there. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven. And we just kind of forget who we're talking to. We're talking to the God who is a consuming fire. And sinners are terrified of him when they see him and experience him. And you know, maybe we should be a little terrified as well. Otherwise, we're not going to worship him in the way that he wants. Isaiah describes the sinners in Zion like this in chapter 33 verse 14 actually some of the source imagery for our hebrews text he says the sinners in zion are afraid trembling has seized the godless who among us can dwell with the consuming fire who among us can dwell with the everlasting burnings you know i think that's a really important question who can dwell with the everlasting god that's what they started asking or with the everlasting fire and conflating the two images, the consuming fire, the everlasting burnings, whatever. Uh, That's what they started thinking after God brought judgment on them. And they started realizing, you know, we can't live here in Jerusalem any longer in the way that we're behaving. That's what God wanted them to start feeling. I think that's a really important question that I think has become, it's changed today. And I understand. Yeah, but I think what we say today is, well, who can go to heaven, right? Who can go to heaven? You know, when you, ask, when you answer that question, I, I just think, well, pff, sign me up. I can go to heaven. That sounds great. Right? Piece of cake. Anybody can do that. No, who can dwell with the everlasting burnings, with the consuming fire? You know, the really cool thing is Isaiah has an encouraging response to that question. He says, those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating Evil. The one who has so much awe and reverence for God that they are terrified of even touching sin and even being perceived as sinning. They shake their hands so they know, so everyone knows, I have no bribe in my hand. And I can't even look upon or hear evil. I hate anything that might separate me from From God, that's who can dwell with the consuming fire. And so, I want you to think about this for a moment. Here's the cool contrast: is like people who are in that situation, they are actually throughout the Bible, there's or in Revelation rather, they're actually happy to see the face of God. And Revelation, this cool contrast happens. The text that we read a moment ago. It speaks of the sinners, the godless, and when they saw the face of the one on the throne, they were terrified. But in the city to come, in the mount, in the Zion to come, the heavenly Jerusalem, it says His face shines on their city, and no one seems to have a problem with it. They're happy about that. So I want to ask you a question right now. To think about this, when you think about seeing God, when you think about Christ coming, is that a comforting thought? Or a terrifying thought. Think about it happening right now. Are you comforted? All your hopes and dreams fulfilled? Or is it not just build up in your stomach? I think that can tell us right now whether or not we're ready to see Him. <clears throat> whether or not. We are living our lives with reverence and awe and with a healthy fear and respect for our God. Worshiping with reverence and awe can be so challenging right now because this is not how people around us act. The Hebrew writer, though, he wouldn't have told us to do this if it was natural to us, right? It's something that we have to be told to do because we've got to remember this is important. But it is a must. Right? But Isaiah goes on in this text and I think it's a really encouraging picture for those of us who are willing to do the work to see what God wants us to see in order to give him the worship he wants us to give. Isaiah says this in the rest of that text. He says, your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar Look on Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. One day the king will come and we will see him in his beauty. And we will get to live in the heavenly Jerusalem. But the only way the coming of our king and of that city is, is going to be a welcome sight to us then is if we live our lives with reverence and respect and fear and awe now. And that day, there's not going to be any room for anybody who doesn't have that attitude, who's casual towards God, who treats him like a fainting goat. And you know, there wasn't any room in the assemblies of Israel for that. They stoned people for talking casually, or irreverently about God. And so there really shouldn't be any room here in this room for that kind of attitude as well. And so let it never be said of any of us here that we have an irreverent attitude towards God. Let's offer him our lives and worship in a way that shows reverence and respect. And here's the challenging part. It doesn't end here, right? We've got to live our lives with that reverence and awe. If you need any help with your walk with God, then I encourage you, uh, seek out people here who can help you see God how you ought to see God. Uh, Separate the image of God that the world has created that is so lame and not impressive. Separate that from the true picture of who he is. Get with people who can help you with that. And come forward to the front while we stand and sing.